Welcome to the Beyond Barriers podcast. If you're an ambitious woman who wants to advance in leadership, then this podcast is for you. This podcast is co-hosted by Nikki Barua, digital innovator, serial entrepreneur, author, and speaker, and Monica Marquez, senior corporate leader, ex-Googler, and diversity expert. From inspiring stories to cutting-edge strategies, you'll learn how to develop the skill set, mindset, and tool set to get future-ready fast and accelerate your success. Hi, I'm Monica, your host for today's episode. Magical things happen when your passions meet purpose and ultimately leads to your profession. When it happens, it sparks curiosity, confidence, and motivates you to explore the awe of the unknown. You're able to tap into your wow factor and create impact for others and for yourself along the way. But as we all know, it's much easier said than done, and it takes courage to follow your heart and not conform to cultural and societal norms. Meet our guest, Ida Lou, who shares her journey of following her passions, which took her from the world of finance to fashion, and ultimately back to finance with the idea of pitching a fashion, retail, and entertainment practice to City, thus bringing her two worlds together. The rest is history. Ida Liu is the global head of City Private Bank and a member of the City Global Wealth Leadership Team. Ida leads the private banking activities in 50 offices around 18 countries and delivers wealth management solutions to ultra-high net worth families and their businesses globally. Before becoming global head, she was the head of City Private Bank North America and held numerous other leadership roles. Visit IamBeyondBarriers.com, where you'll find show notes and links to all the resources in this episode, including the best way to get in touch with Ida. Welcome, Ida. Thank you so much for joining us on the Beyond Barriers podcast. We are thrilled to have you here. And I personally, because, uh, you know, just myself working in finance and corporate have always been following you and all of the great things that you've been pioneering and doing in your the course over over the course of your career so you know i thought it would be amazing to have you on and to um give some insight to our listeners as to you know who is ida and how has your journey um you know what's your journey been like and just sharing it with that so without further ado just let's dive right in and let's talk a little bit about your story and what you've learned over the course of your journey? Well, firstly, thank you so much for having me. And thank you for the very, very kind intro. It's an absolute pleasure to be here with you on the podcast. Uh, So the pleasure is absolutely all mine. And (laughs) uh, I'm going to start with just sharing um, quickly, you know, my journey. So born in San Francisco, California from two immigrant parents. Uh, They immigrated from Asia over to California with not much. Mm -hmm. And uh, what my brother and I grew up with was this amazing role modeling that was happening in our home, right? That we could see what it takes to build a business from scratch and watching my father, Mm -hmm. right? The grit, the resilience, the optimism, the never give up attitude. And then we saw the lovely characteristics that we we that were instilled with us at a very young age of the EQ part of it. You know, mm-hmm. the kindness, the appreciation, the gratitude that my mom exudes. She's one of the absolute <laughs> kindest people you will ever meet. So we had the benefit of growing up in this kind of bicultural upbringing, understanding the values of hard work, mm-hmm. seeing the American dream play out in front of our eyes, right? And really not just um, getting the the lessons of hard work and focus and determination from my dad, 
mm-hmm. but the importance of kindness, appreciation, the EQ qualities that are so important in every career and for your success, you know, as a future leader. So very fortunate in growing up in that kind of environment. Uh, after going to Wellesley College on the on the East Coast, I went into investment banking. Uh, it was a pretty grueling time to be an investment banker in the 90s. And uh, it was a wonderful experience getting that technical financial valuation analysis down pat. And after almost six years of investment banking, um, both in New York and in Asia, I decided that I needed to make a change. Uh, I was working 120 hour work weeks. I was pulling an all nighter every every week, even though the job was super interesting. I was really hitting the wall, right, in terms of work life balance. Mm-hmm. So I decided to take a bit of a break. And after getting my MBA. I shifted and I pivoted into the fashion industry. Mm-hmm. Um, and I went to work for a wonderful and fabulously creative fashion designer, um, Vivian Tam. And I helped her launch her business in Europe, open her stores in China, uh, build a new dress line. Uh, and it was just a really wonderful and exciting time in the fashion industry. I actually really loved it. It allowed me to see a different purview. Mm. Uh, and in the time in fashion, I would meet so many fashion designers that would ask me, what stock should I buy? What bond should I buy? How should I invest my money? <laughs> so I realized that there was a massive opportunity in the market for wealth management solutions to this industry. Mm. So I pitched the concept to City 15 years ago to launch and lead a fashion, retail, and entertainment practice for the private bank, and the rest is history. Oh my God, that is so fascinating. And it's so amazing how you connected those dots. You see, you saw the gap and you were like, how can I solve this gap? Because I think you had, a, you know, you had the unique kind of that unique value proposition of knowing, having expertise in this area and now the expertise in the fashion and, and bringing the two together. That is amazing. I love that story. But share a little bit about, you know, as you mentioned, as you, you know, you began your career and, you know, first generation college here in the U.S., first generation corporate. Did you ever imagine you would have a leadership role in, you know, in this industry, especially the male dominated industry? And then even that, a woman of color, right? An Asian woman, an extremely senior, you know, role, which, you know, is difficult and, and you don't have a lot of visibility of that. Did you ever imagine and, and what, you know, what kept you moving forward? It's interesting that you asked me this question because I think one of my life's purpose statements is that I would like to shatter not only the glass ceiling, but the bamboo ceiling. Mm. And I have a unique vantage point in life because I am an Asian Chinese American woman. Uh, So not only are we looking at, you know, the Asian side of it, but also the woman side of it. I think we've done a great job over the last decade of advancing uh, for a lot of women, particularly here at my own firm, where I've got a woman leading the charge as CEO of the firm, Jane Fraser, which she's effectively shattered the glass ceiling uh-huh. uh, for most of us here in, in the financial services. But then you look at the other side of the equation and only 2% of Asians are CEOs on Fortune 500 companies. So there's so much more work yes. that needs to be done there. Right. So um, so it's been a bit of a, a, a long journey uh, and there's still a lot of work to be done. Um, but again, you know, I think it's really important that seeing is believing. Mm-hmm. And when we do do that, we've got to make sure we lift others up and we have to share the lessons that we've learned along the way to help others get to that next level. Yes, that is so important. And I think, like you said, visibility is absolutely key, but also the clarity, gaining the clarity on, you know, what 
that career path or what the strengths and the and your purpose. And you mentioned, you know, you went to college and you went into investment banking, which was probably back, you know, when you went in the 90s, very male dominated. Um, how did you gain that clarity of, you know, the interest in investment banking, especially when many other individuals have that limited frame of reference that you, they don't really see these these career opportunities? How did you how did you gain clarity? Well, I was very fortunate in that at Wellesley College, we get a lot of uh, firms that come onto campus to do recruitment. Mm-hmm. And I think Wellesley does an incredible job of enabling us to see all the different opportunities out there, whether it be consultancy, whether it be finance, whether it be different types of roles. And in fact, I had an offer from Neiman Marcus Group to mm-hmm. be a buyer. Uh, and I decided not to do that and put that on the back shelf and go into finance because I thought it might be a little tough to go back into investment banking if I went into fashion. Right. Um, and I have to say that the reason why I went into investment banking is because number one, I found the job to be very interesting. Mm-hmm. And number two, I thought it was the best possible training you could get out of college to fully understand the financial valuation, the way companies work. Mm-hmm. And I was a mergers and acquisitions investment banker. So really thinking about strategy, you know, for large corporates, what's mm-hmm. going to add value? What's going to take away value? How should you think about building your business and your company? What's valuable? What's not, right? So um, that fundamental and technical valuation analysis, I think is critical into anything you do. So I really, truly believe that that journey in investment banking is probably the best training I could have gotten, right? Because it gave me the foundations right. of understanding the way corporates work and behave. Um, and then, you know, taking that pivot, not because I didn't love the job. I love the job. Uh-huh. It was because I was frankly burning out. Mm-hmm. I was working these unsustainable hours over a very long period of time, almost six and a half years in investment banking, working straight on up, right? The ladder right. Uh, and then working in two different geographies on a plane 24 seven also, right? Traveling all over the world uh, on these deals. And, you know, it really just hit home when I saw some of my friends at the end of that time. And they said to me, oh my gosh, you need to get some sleep. And it was like a wake up call, you know, wake up call. Yeah. I think I got my pillow all the time. It was a wake up call that I needed something that was just a little bit different for me at that time, a little bit more of that work life. Mm. So after business school, again, I went into the fashion industry, which is so different. And I did that because I wanted to have a pivot. I wanted to see what it was like to work for an owner mm-hmm. of a company. She owned her business. It was a small business that was growing globally. And when you go from that corporate investment banking training into a, let me run a small business and build that business training, it's an entirely different skill. You know, and it was a huge learning curve for me, but I loved every single bit of it because even in my role today, I can understand a lot of the clients that we work with, right? Mm-hmm. Because they all built their businesses, they're entrepreneurial, <laughs> they've um, owned and operated businesses. And if you've been in that in that place with someone mm-hmm. else and you understand the challenges of navigating and building your own business globally, there's a greater appreciation, I think, for that. Um, mm-hmm. So it's been really, really helpful. That is, yeah, absolutely fascinated. And, and, you know, that resonated so much with me because being in corporate for two and a half decades and then coming into my own organization and trying to scale it up, the, the, I thought I knew what urgency meant <laughs> until you start kind of doing it yourself and realizing how, like, it is very different. There's some competencies you share, but the actual skill set shifts a little bit. Um, and that is fascinating. Now, I want to dig in a little bit about that transition because that 
that is a huge, you know, investment banking into the fashion industry. Um, and I'm sure during those times, you may have moments of like, you know, just fears or self-doubts uh, of, of like, did I make the right decision? Um, what, you know, what did happen during that time when you did kind of hit some of those walls where maybe there was a bit of self-doubt or I'm in over my head? How did you manage through that? What are some of the techniques that you did to kind of like move forward through the fear? So firstly, I will tell you that um, your network is so incredibly important. Mm. The reason why I made this huge pivot was because I had kept in touch with so many of my friends that I met at Neiman Marcus Group. Remember, I'd mentioned to you, I yes. got an offer from them uh, out of college to be a buyer. And I kept in touch with so many of my contacts there that they made introductions for me to rejoin into the fashion industry. So never underestimate your network mm-hmm. and never underestimate networking early on. Uh, because those connections have been absolutely pivotal to me in every transition that I've made. Uh, and 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 it's uh, it's it's been absolutely, absolutely key. So, you know, I think mapping out your career a bit um, and looking at where gaps are too and filling those gaps, I think is also very, very important. But to your question about, you know, what were some of the fears? Well, I tell you the first thing when I walked through the doors in a fashion house, everybody stared at me like I was a total alien. <laughs> what are you doing here? What do you know about fashion? You were in finance. What do you have to do uh, in the fashion industry? And I think it's about making sure that you add value in a different way. And Mm. when you add value in a different way and bring your best to the table, people understand that, you know, wow, she's able to think about this in a slightly different way than we are. Mm -hmm. Wow, she brings a really analytical side to the business that we haven't really thought about before. You know, she looks at sell-through. She looks at the way that we're, you know, doing on each of the products and is suggesting that we launch a dress line because that's where, you know, we've been driving a lot of sales. So just taking a slightly different approach for it and the business plans and the financial modeling that used to do for big corporates investment banking. I was doing that now for the fashion house. (laughs) And and it was bringing a lot of eye-opening, I think, uh, value-added solutions to the way that uh, the designer was thinking about building out her business. So, you you know, never underestimate an out-of-the-box thinker. In fact, I, I, I say that, you know, you have to be open to that. Even Mm -hmm. today in private banking, we don't just hire private bankers. We actually hire people who are talented people. We don't don't really care. We're agnostic Uh to where it came from. I mean, because look, if we weren't, I wouldn't be here. So, you know, it's 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 thinking outside of the box, making sure that, you know, when when you're doubting yourself, you gotta realize play to your strengths, Mm. you know, play to your strengths and show them why you deserve a seat at the table. Um, And, uh, and, you know, I I think people will really embrace that. That's fantastic. And it's actually very important, like you said, playing to your strengths. And part of that is doing that self-assessment and really identifying what are your strengths and what is that unique value proposition that you bring. Can you talk a little bit about that? Like we, you know, we share this in theory with, you know, a lot of the women who go through our accelerator program. But the question is, is like, how do you do that? And, and for you yourself, how did you, you know, really assess this is my unique value proposition and here's what I'm bringing? Like you said, when people looked at you like an alien, but then you said, here's here's what I bring to the table. Here's my value card. Um, what did that look like? What did that process look like for you? Sure. I think it's really important that we each know our strengths, mm-hmm. where our passion lies, mm-hmm. what we love to do, 
And then we try to think about what is the right profession that's going to reflect all of those things that you love to do. Because if you're in a job that you love, it doesn't feel like a job. Mm, It's exciting. It's energizing. Like, you know, when people are not in the right job, when they're unhappy, they don't feel like they're utilizing their skill set. So you have to take some deep inner reflection about, do I love this? What am I doing? What parts of the job do I love the most? Mm. Where do I still have gaps? What do I still need to learn? Create your own personal roadmap of development. Right. And so that you can be a more well-rounded professional and that you can be in a job that you love to do. So, for example, I love working with people. I love working with clients. I love the wealth management business. I think it's so fascinating, right? I'm an avid believer in lifelong learning. So I think we can all learn so much uh, by being in this industry. Um, So there, there, there are things that I think that every one of us has to take that to heart. Don't do what other people want you to do. Don't do what you think is the right job because that's, you know, that's what everybody else thinks I should do. Do what you love, whether that's teaching or finance or whatever it might be. You've got to find that passion because it makes all the difference in the world, right? Life is short. Do what you love. Wow. I couldn't have said that better. And that is so insightful of really understanding the important piece is don't do what others or don't do what you you're doing just because others think you should do that. Like they're trying to fit you in this, like, you know, square peg in a round hole. Um, and that's, that is really hard to do, right? Cause there's a lot of societal kind of pressure sometimes, or just limited frame of reference that success to you looked like this. Um, and so you're just kind of following suit opposed to, like you said, that self introspection of really what is it that I love to do and then figuring out where that fits in. I think that's so, so important. Thank you for sharing that. I want to shift gears a little bit. And you talked about how important community and network is. And I think this is one area where women, um, you know, female professionals fall short, where there aren't, they aren't leveraging their community and their network the way, the way they should be. Um, what are some tips or techniques that you can talk about, you know, in terms of being strategic and building powerful relationships? Like, you know, how did, how did you do that? And how did you maintain those relationships over the years? You all have to realize that you cannot be successful on your own. It's not a single sport. It's a team sport. So the earlier you learn that and the earlier you you empower people around you and that you realize what your gaps are and put people around you that help fill those gaps, the better you and your organization are going to be. You know, none of us are perfect. And I think that we all have to adopt this mentality of teamwork and partnership and collaboration. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think the more that you're in that mindset, the more successful that you're going to be. And actually, that's a very interesting point because that's absolutely contrary to some of the ways that we were brought up as an Asian woman, for example, in our Asian culture. It's all about individual success. It's not about team sports. It's about individual sports. Right. It's about being valedictorian. It's about yeah. doing all these things, working hard, putting your head down, being the best. And this is a different world when you're trying to succeed in corporate America. It's not about you. It's about your team. Right. And our most important asset in our business is our people. So in order for the pe- everyone to be optimizing the performance and doing well and swimming in the same lane, it's again about that partnership teamwork orientation that is so incredibly important in corporate finance. 
Wow. That is, that is so awesome. I love the whole, it's not a solo sport, it's a team sport. And I think the other important piece that you talked about is, you know, you can't do it alone. So identify where your gaps are and then leverage other people to feel, fill those gaps. And I think that's one of the misconceptions that a lot of individuals, at least women and, and, you know, minorities, people of color who feel like if they ask for help or they can't do it themselves, then they're less than. Did you ever struggle with that? The time. All the time. Um, You know, oh, I don't want to ask that question because then I might come across like I'm not knowledgeable or, oh, my goodness, I can't ask for help because then it'll make me look like I'm not good enough. Right. But Mm -hmm. you have to get over that because, um, you know, that's just not the way it's going to work. You've got to ask for help. You've got to be vocal. You've got to ask the questions. Um, that's your learning journey. That's the mm-hmm. way you're going to grow as an individual, right? To to really have the the tools, the resources, the team, the partners around you that you can thrive and learn from. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I still learn a lot every single day from the new <laughs> newest employees that come into my business, right? I mean, I and I always am a big advocate of having different levels of mentors around me, mm-hmm. not just senior yes. mentors, by the way, but peer mentors and junior mentors. And some of the most innovative, creative ideas are coming from the junior mentors, the folks that just graduated from college, that work on my team, that challenge the status quo, that really help us think outside of the box. So you've got to be open to that. I think that's so important that you said that because I can't tell you how many um, you know, seasoned senior professionals I've talked to. And when we talk about mentors and sponsors, um, you know, they talk about how much they're mentoring and things like that, but then they forget that they need their own mentors and they start kind of, uh, you know, creating a gap for themselves, like you said, because they're not tapping into the junior talent or their peers or whatnot. So I think that the lifelong mentoring that you're talking about is so important and we don't talk about very much. But the other one to touch on is sponsorship because, you know, you know, some of the recent research that came out from Coquall and the Center of Work Life, um, you know, um, it, they they talked about how women can sometimes be over mentored and under sponsored. Have you seen that over the course of your career? And how did you navigate around that? Yeah, it's super. It's a super um, interesting balancing act, right? Because mm-hmm. it's important to have mentors, and as I mentioned, I like to have three dimensional types of mentors, and I also like to have mentors that are across industries because people mm-hmm. will give you different views if you're in or out of the financial services industry. Uh, but in addition to that, it is highly important to have sponsors, and I think the sponsors are the ones that are going to move the needle for you in visibility, in push projects, in leadership roles uh, across the business. So. Those uh, relationships usually form and springboard out of longstanding mentorship relationships. Mm, I yes. find uh, where you know they they be, you're you're working with somebody uh, on a, on a very senior basis who you know sees the potential in you, puts you up you know for the push project or puts yes. you in a role or a project that gives you more visibility and really enhances your profile. So you know you have to think a, a little bit about that too. But a lot of it has to come naturally. You know, I, I think it's really hard to go to somebody and say, can you be my mentor? It really has to be someone that you feel like you, you have a connection with, right? That mm-hmm. you've worked with or spoken with or interacted with over time that you feel like could, you know, that you could really uh, create that and establish that kind of a connection mm-hmm. um, for, for future sponsorship. 
Yes, I, I think that is absolutely important. And like you said, a lot of the times being mindful that some of those mentors can turn into those, um, you know, sponsors as they themselves are kind of moving up in their career and then putting you in for those kind of stretch assignments or those glamour assignments, right, that get you the visibility that you need. I want to shift a little bit and talk about, because you mentioned, um, you know, when you stepped back, um, when you were, you know, in your career, investment banking, climbing the ladder, kind of, you had that beeline going towards the top, and then you decided, I have to push pause because I'm burning out. What were, you know, now, I mean, you're still in tremendous kind of huge roles, which congratulations, by the way, because I know your new global COO role is is um, one that's extremely taxing. How do you stay grounded and how do you take care of yourself now that you're back kind of in this financial world and you have all of these responsibilities and it's a global role, so you have multiple time zones and teams, et cetera. What do you do for Ida to make sure that you aren't burning yourself, at, you know, burning the candle at both ends? You know, it's such a great question. And as I mentioned to you, we're in the midst of our global private banking sales conference uh, here, which I'm so happy to be uh, leading. And one of the elements that I really wanted the team to take away from this conference is not only the great strategic opportunities that we have and the growth opportunities that we have in our business, Mm -hmm. but every single day of this conference, we dedicate and motivate a period of time to the health, wellness, and personal development of our employees globally. So I brought in expert speakers from around the world to come in to really focus on health, wellness, mental well-being with our team, mm-hmm. in addition to how to be how to be your best as a right. Leader, right in our organization too. So it is so important uh, to me that you have work-life integration and that you do mm-hmm. it well. I don't want teams to be burning out. It's been a really long slog these last couple of years in COVID. Yes. We've been having a bit of Zoom fatigue. We've been living at work, you know, in many cases at home. We have a lot of increased hours. We're juggling multiple demands. Many of us have family. Uh, which also, you know, makes the demands even even greater. Yes. So therefore, it is even more important that we focus on providing flexibility, resources, health and wellness. And for me personally, it's about 10 minutes of meditation every single day, making sure that I have the time with my kids, whether it's reading a book at night or that quiet time, right, to recharge my batteries because mm-hmm. they recharge my batteries. Um, and just making sure that you get a good night's rest every night. So I can't always practice what I preach, but I try my best, Uh, you know, exercise, sleep, nutrition. All of us know that that is absolutely key and fundamental to our health and well-being. So we try very often to remind our team (laughs) that that this is the basics, right? I mean, you've got to treat your body really well. The gasoline you put into your car is going to help fuel your long-term business and success. And you got to make sure that that's, you know, that's high quality, you know, high quality foods and that you're getting the right exercise. Fantastic. And I absolutely can, you know, I admire that you are kind of leading by example and, you know, and encouraging that behavior because I get all the time, you know, where there aren't as many senior leaders who are kind of leading by example. And then you have other people who are emulating that behavior and not really putting health and wellness first. And then when you burn out, it's almost kind of like your body makes you um, take, you know, take uh, awareness of that. Um, but sometimes it's too late and and there's been damage done to your career, to your, you know, your reputation, brand, et cetera. Um, so I think that was so important. And um, I admire the fact that you are really kind of instilling that in individuals of 
put the oxygen mask on first um, before you know you, you you put it on somebody else because otherwise, exactly like you right. said, you're not going to have that gas to keep going. No, that's exactly right. And as I said it earlier, and I'm going to say it again, the most important asset that we have is our people. So we've mm-hmm. got to make our make sure that we're giving our people ample support, right? Yes. Health, wellness. I mean, focusing on being their best selves because when they are their best selves, they bring their best selves to work and everybody is much happier, right? So uh, that, that's super, super important. Now, I want to talk a little bit because you talked about how right now you're in the midst of kind of like your your sales, uh, your sales kind of strategy conference and, you know, getting everybody prepared to be their best selves and bring their A game, et cetera. Um, what are some of the things, because like you said earlier too, that you're, um, you're a constant learner, you're always learning, you're an agile learner. Um, how, you know, what are some of the things that you do to stay ahead of the curve and, you know, look at the trends that are coming and, and make sure that you can ride the wave opposed to getting crushed by it as that, you know, this digital disruption comes in. What are some of the things you do outside of like these conferences, but how do you on a daily basis stay ahead? Well, you know, it's, uh, it's all about uh, making sure that you are extremely knowledgeable. So I spend a lot of time reading. Mm. I'm a voracious reader. Uh, so I try to read many books a week and I'm always reading the news first thing in the morning, last thing <laughs> at night. Uh, you know, all of the tremendous research that we put out in our business as well, uh, mm-hmm. because it's important. That's my job right? My job is to be a fiduciary and a wealth advisor to our clients around the world. And, you know, I've got to be on top of the latest news. I've got to be ahead of the news. I've got to be able to, you know, understand and and suggest and advise what our clients do with their global wealth portfolios, right? Mm -hmm. So it's, it's uh it's a lot of fun. That's what excites me. So when I go back to what I said earlier, you got to do what you love doing. If you like, if you're really passionate about a topic, it's fun. Right. I mean, that's yes. what gets you get you excited, right? What's happening in fintech? What's happening in investments in this region? You know, what's the latest direct investment that's interesting for our clients to think about? What's happening on the ESG front? You know, all of these things that we we love and we speak about with passion and conviction. Um, and it's it's just a lot of fun. Yeah. And I can hear it. I can hear like just the passion coming out of it. And, and I think that's important because sometimes the things that come easy to us, sometimes we tend to undervalue those because it comes so easy and effortless. We think like, oh, this is too easy. I'm not having to expend all this energy. So it must not be valuable, um, which is completely opposite, you know, in, in that what comes easy to you may not come easy to somebody else. And so I think that's amazing to see you light up when you're talking about the things that you do. Um, but the importance of identifying what is that for you? Um, let's talk a little bit a bit about, you know, then as you think about your typical day and all of the things that are like coming at you, um, how do you ensure that you are being effective in your execution? Like, how do you make sure that you're focusing on the right thing at the right time? I'm a firm believer that what gets measured gets done. Mm. So when we define a strategic priority or objective, and we think we can move the needle there, we then have to put clear directives in place, clear, actionable directives in place, and then clear, actionable ways to measure progress, Mm -hmm. right? And that's how we all challenge ourselves, whether it's financially or otherwise, right? It's always important for us to put the stake in the ground and say, where do we want to be? 
How are we going to get there? Clearly articulate that to the team so we can all swim in the same lane Mm -hmm. and then also measure our progress. So that gives us an opportunity to course correct if the progress isn't moving the pace or velocity that you would like. Right. So I think it's really important not only to define strategy, but measure it and also, you know, the execution of the strategy side as well. Yes. So measuring it and making sure that, like you said, that you are finding tangible, actionable ways to actually get it done, opposed to like making it so big, you don't even, you know, you can't even move forward, but it's like chipping it away and saying, okay, here are the, the micro goals as well. Absolutely. What if you could pinpoint the invisible ceilings limiting your success? Imagine having clarity on your strengths and barriers so you can take action and gain unstoppable momentum to advance as a future-ready leader. Well, that's exactly what the Beyond Barriers quiz will help you discover. You'll get your personalized score based on the 25 essential elements proven to accelerate success in the digital age so you can understand what's holding you back and where to focus your efforts. The Beyond Barriers quiz is completely free and takes just a few minutes. Go to imbeyondbarriers.com slash quiz and take the quiz today. I want to ask a little bit about your kind of, you talked about work-life integration, which I think is so important. And I love that you use the word integration opposed to balance because we both know there's no such thing. There's no such thing. (laughs) So how do you do that? How do you integrate both work and life? Because, you know, if you have a a personal to-do list, professional to-do list, how do you make sure that you are getting both of those things done? Well, they're one and the same for me, right? Because I'm so passionate about my career. I love my job. I love what I do. But I also ultimately am doing this all for my kids and my family, right? So you've got to make sure that you balance. And it's not always going to be a perfect balance. Okay. So it is an integration, but Mm -hmm. sometimes the accelerator pedal will be down at work because you've got a lot of, you know, things that are going on in the office. You have travel, you have to do this, you have to do You're executing a bunch of different demands um, in, in the office. And then sometimes it's taking that off the pedal a bit and spending more time focused on your children and, mm-hmm. you know, and, and spending more time with them. But for me, it's usually off limits Friday night from Sunday, uh, Friday night till Sunday is my personal family time. And that is where I'm going to try my best not to do client meetings or phone calls or anything like that. And just really spend the time being here now mm-hmm. with my family. So I think it's really important that when you are spending time with the ones you love, that you're present when you do it. That means turning off your devices whenever possible. I'm, I'm guilty of not always doing that, mm-hmm. but turning off your devices and really, really enjoying that time uh, and being present you know, with, with your family. I love that. And I love, like you said, setting those boundaries of like Friday, you know, um, afternoon, evening till Sunday is like off limits. Um, how would you... To the more junior kind of emerging talent, you know, I share that as well of like, you've got to set your boundaries. And I do remember being much more junior and saying, how do I do that though? Like, you know, now that, you know, you're more senior, more seasoned, you can say that and people will listen to you, right? But when you were kind of moving up and you were wanting to set those boundaries or you weren't wanting to burn out, what are some of the things that you did to make sure that you did um, re-energize yourself or set some boundaries where you weren't necessarily burning out? 
You know, it's interesting that you say that because I think I'm a case of burnout, right? Because I did <laughs> not set any boundaries. And as I said to you, I worked these crazy hours investment banking uh-huh. for many years and I did, I hit the wall, right? So mm-hmm. I'm not a good example of the early uh, example, the rising of, you mm-hmm. know, really, really finding that balance. I do think today is a different world uh, mm-hmm. than when I was growing up in investment banking. And I think there's a lot more of an appreciation for work-life balance or integration, however you want to call it. Right. Um, and I think that people respect boundaries a lot. And, and as I said, you know, to make sure that you take your time, uh, whatever it is, right, to make sure that you don't burn out, whether that's getting that exercise in, uh, whether it's getting you know, a really good night's sleep whenever you can, right? But just making sure that you try your best to stick to some of those things that, you know, like, for example, if you have a very important client meeting, you're never going to cancel that, right? So then just think about setting yourself an exercise meeting or, a, you know, a time to meditate yes. or, or a time to do your whatever you, you think is effective for you. For me, it's even about micro breaks throughout the day. So mm. if I'm in an elevator, going from a meeting to a meeting, I will do some deep breathing, a mini meditation session just in the elevator bank to reground me and reset for the next meeting. And it really calms me down. It reduces a lot of stress for me. And I think it's a great exercise. So little things like that can go a long way, you know, in helping you. I love that. I love the micro breaks. And I love how a little bit of the habit stacking, right? Like, okay, well, I have to be in this elevator anyway. So let me do something and kind of stack something on top of that will be beneficial. And it's it's amazing how sometimes like you said, that right there can energize you for the rest of the afternoon. Um, and just doing those things when you can, but being mindful. And I love what you said sometimes, because it made me think when you said, you know, if you want something to get done, it has to be measured, or you have to write it down. So blocking out like you said, 30 minutes to work out or blocking out 30 minutes to, you know, ground yourself or 10 minutes to meditate. It's so important, but actually putting it in your calendar or marking it to where it's just like, this is my time. And even if it's 10 minutes, it's still a boundary. And so rewarding yourself with those 10 minutes to be able to do the meditation so that you can keep going. I think it's so important. Well, I want to thank you so much. This has been so amazing. And we have our new closing uh, kind of lightning round of questions that I want to ask you that um, we'll kind of share a little bit about, you know, what gets Ida going. And and um, so I'm going to go through these lightning round questions and just, you know, one or two words of, of what comes to mind for you. So uh, what book has greatly influenced you? There's so many Uh, But you know what? The book I'm reading right now is Adam Grant's Think Again. Mm. Uh, It challenges a lot of the status quo thinking. And uh, (laughs) he's a spectacular author. So I I love his books. Awesome. What is your favorite inspiring quote or saying? Well, the first thing that jumps to my mind is if you want to make everybody happy, don't be a leader, sell ice cream. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. It's so absolutely true. I love it. What is one word or moniker that you would use to describe yourself? Fantastic listener. Wow, I love it. What is one change, a habit, behavior, or action that you implemented that made your life better? Meditation. Meditation. And finally, what power song would be playing in the background as you walk out onto stage or into a room? 
That's a hard one. I mean, I, you know, I love music. Uh, and right now I'm really into Dua Lipa and Elton John's remix. <laughs> it gives me a lot of energy. I yeah. Like that. Um, but yeah, anything that's energizing, you know, energizing. uplifting, energizing is I, I really believe that um, that that reflects the essence of, of me. Right. Trying to always look at the glass half full and being as optimistic energetic music, uplifting music. Fantastic. Well, Ida, I want to thank you so much for giving us this time because I know you've been super busy. You're in the midst of your conference and you took the time to uh, interview here with Beyond Barriers. And I know our audience is going to be so appreciative of it. And uh, we wish you the best and continue doing what you're doing and going beyond barriers and breaking those bamboo ceilings. Uh, We admire you for that. And always know that Beyond Barriers is here supporting you. Thank you so much. It was such a pleasure to spend time with you. And thank you for the incredible work that you and Beyond Barriers do. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Beyond Barriers podcast. There are thousands of podcasts out there, and we are so grateful that you've chosen to listen to ours. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a rating and tell a friend about it and subscribe to get new episodes every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Visit IamBeyondBarriers.com where you'll find show notes, links, and the best way to connect with our guests. See you next episode.